Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. In May of 2019, the Trump administration increased tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese exports, raising them from 10% to 25%. The increase is the latest skirmish in a trade war that's been rapidly escalating since 2018, a trade war in which President Trump has attacked what he views as unfair Chinese trade practices and demanded that the country buy more American products to reduce the U.S.-China trade deficit, which totaled $376 billion in 2017. The Chinese responded to the latest increase by expressing, quote, deep regret over the development and said they plan to take, quote, necessary countermeasures. These tariffs aren't the first that the Trump administration has imposed against China. In July of 2018, the administration hit China with 10% tariffs on $200 billion worth of imports, a penalty that has since affected the prices that U.S. consumers pay for scores of products, ranging from computers to luggage. Chinese officials quickly responded, adding their own tariffs on U.S. products and stepping up border inspections of U.S. goods and holding up licenses for U.S. companies to do business in China. And Trump is also waging trade wars on other fronts. In May of 2018, his administration imposed steel and aluminum tariffs on Canada, Mexico, and the European Union. The U.S.'s neighbor to the north immediately counterpunched, with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announcing that it would slap retaliatory tariffs on U.S. exports to Canada. A tariff is a border tax on the buyer. When the United States levies a tariff on products imported from other countries, it is the U.S. importer who pays the tariff, not the foreign exporter. So, for example, when the Trump administration orders a 25% tariff on Chinese tech products, the U.S. importer of those tech products will pay the increasing cost, not the Chinese. Ultimately, these tariffs make it more expensive for Americans to import Chinese goods, or goods from whichever nation the tariff is being imposed on. The money is collected by Customs and Border Protection, and the proceeds go to the U.S. Treasury to become part of the nation's general budget. It's hardly the first time that the U.S. and other nations have become involved in such a conflict over trade. Trade wars can happen for various reasons. It could be that one nation decides that it's getting a raw deal because another nation provides subsidies to its manufacturers so that they can export goods that are priced too low for local producers to compete with. Or it could be that a nation decides it wants to nurture its own industries by hindering their foreign competitors with protective tariffs. Centuries ago, trade wars often involved actual violence. In the 17 and early 1800s, for example, China sold a lot of tea and porcelain to the British Empire, so much that the British got concerned about the outflow of silver to pay for it. They decided to fix the trade imbalance by getting China to import large quantities of opium that the British produced in India. When the Chinese government eventually balked at this arrangement, the British sent in their warships and forced China to sign an 1842 treaty that not only opened China to British trade, but gave the territory of Hong Kong to the British. This conflict became known as the First Opium War. But even a bloodless trade war can cause plenty of suffering. A lot of observers are seeing unsettling parallels between Trump's multi-front trade warfare and the trade war that erupted in the 1930s after President Herbert Hoover signed into law the Smoot-Hawley Act, which raised U.S. tariffs by an average of 16%. Other countries enacted their own tariffs in response, leading to a disastrous global decline in trade. We spoke via email with Dartmouth College economics professor Douglas A. Irwin, author of the 2011 book Peddling Protectionism, Smoot-Hawley and the Great Depression. He said... Initially, Smoot-Hawley was not a response to the Great Depression. It was passed by the House in the spring of 1929, before the business cycle peak, at a time when the economy was doing well and the unemployment rate was low. However, it got held up in the Senate, and by that time, the stock market had crashed in the fall of 1929, and the economy was moving into a recession, which later became the Depression. 
the economy continued to get worse after the passage of Smoot-Hawley, and the retaliation against U.S. exports that occurred because of it is thought to have contributed to the severe economic difficulties at that time. So there is a cautionary tale here. Just because the economy is doing well and close to a peak does not mean that things cannot go badly if one moves in a protectionist direction. Smoot-Hawley also helped stimulate a surge of angry nationalism in other countries. Irwin explained it this way. If one country slaps tariffs on your goods, the usual response is to take offense and retaliate rather than to turn the other cheek. Both in 1930 and today, Canada was very upset with U.S. tariff action and retaliated. Nationalists gained strength on perceived slights. And just think about how China still remembers being humiliated by Western powers during the opium wars of the 19th century, and its vow to never be so weak again. When the Trump administration bullies countries today on trade, it naturally leads other countries to stiffen their resolve to resist the U.S. Another big problem with trade wars is that there's a lot of collateral damage. As Philip I. Levy, a senior fellow on the global economy for the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, recently pointed out on Vox, poor people tend to suffer disproportionately, since basic necessities that they already struggle to afford, food, shoes, and clothing, can become more expensive. We also spoke with Levy via email. He added that certain sectors of the economy can be hit worse than others. Quote, if you are in a steel-using sector, like an auto parts manufacturer, you are more likely to be hurt by the steel tariffs. If you're in the construction sector, you're likely hurt by tariffs on steel and on Canadian softwood lumber. These are hits to income and employment, which are in addition to the hits people take as consumers. However, the producers of the products that a government is waging war over, and their investors, stand to benefit. Levy said... To be fair, if you're a shareholder in U.S. Steel, you're pretty happy you don't have to face as much competition. True for workers as well, but much of the job loss has been to automation, not trade, so the tariffs don't fix that. Though the world economy and global trade are stronger today than they were in the early 1930s, Levy argues that a trade war today might be even more damaging. He said, There's this unusual argument about why this is a great time for a trade war— it's a little like saying that today is a good day for me to slam my hand in the car door, since I don't have to give a piano performance in the near future. While that may be true, it's still not a good idea to slam my hand in a car door. He continued, Why might now be worse than the 1930s for the United States? Back then, everyone was doing it, and we didn't really have global supply chains. Now, it is not the case that all countries are raising trade barriers against everyone else. It's the United States that's carving itself out of global supply chains. The rest of the world is still striking trade deals, whether it's the European Union and Canada, the European Union and Japan, or the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. In Levy's opinion, Trump's trade war, quote, will uniquely disadvantage U.S. business. Today's episode was written by Patrick J. Kiger and produced by Tyler Klang. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more on this and lots of other economical topics, visit our home planet, howstuffworks.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.